0: the premiere episode of the Battle Royale podcast. My name is Edward Jones and joining me is my co-host the Professor Stephen Palmer.
1: Hello there, fancy meeting you here.
0: And welcome everyone to a brand new podcast. Uh, Tonight we are going to be kicking off our chapter by chapter look at the cult classic that is Battle Royale. Uh, If you're obviously joining us from our main podcast, the Asian Cinema Film Club, welcome. And um, really we just wanted to put some additional sort of bonus content out there because you know these are all trying times and at the same time this is a film which has been a source of much obsession since it came out for ourselves here in the uk back in 2000 and ushered in this whole wave of uh, and revival of interest in asian cinema which certainly if you listen to our main show um, as i said the asian cinema film club you would know that we've talked about that wave of revival, numerous times on uh, our previous episodes, and it was so rushed in not only by Battle Royale but also by Takashi Miike's Audition and The Ring, uh, three films which each of them brought something to the table and basically made audiences sort of question what else have they been missing and really sparked not only the rise of J Horror but also started bringing in more sort of directors from the like, not only. Japanese uh, filmmakers such as you know, Takashi Miike we'd also have like Korean filmmakers being picked up such as now legendary Bong Joon-ho and Park Chan-wook, so A lot of these films getting the sort of notice they they have can be sort of traced back to the three films. And for whatever reason, Battle Royale has just continued to remain this source of fascination, even though on the surface it just seems like the most throwaway plot line ever. Uh, As a group of students are taken to a remote island and forced to battle each other to the death until one one member is left standing as part of a government-initiated Battle Royale act now Stephen I mean did you see this film originally when it sort of came out or was it something that you sort of caught um, sort of later than its initial release
1: pretty much when it came out sort of although I was into Asian cinema before this everything you just sort of said rings very true sort of around the turn of the millennium we had films like Audition like Battle Royale um, what was the other one you mentioned um ringu ring sorry I shouldn't, yeah. shouldn't call it ringu that's that's not what it's called it's called ring um and uh, juan things like that did did come as some kind of sort of horror horror wave it was you know you found them in film magazines you found them at the cinema you found them on the sort of that burgeoning dvd market and it kind of reawakens that sort of that that trio of films sort of reawakened my interest in in asian cinema i mean i i i've been into it a while there's maybe a couple of other films in or around things like shaolin soccer maybe that had also got me got me back into it as opposed to just being sort of mildly interested in it um and i guess we you know we chose it as our number one film last year as in our in our um in our attempt to do a clickbaity list um so it's it's, it's somewhat somewhat apt we've picked it but but like you it's it's, it's <laughs> you know to me it's more than just the um more than just the film i i read the manga back in the day although i don't have it anymore the novel was one of the it's one of the first sort of japanese novels to get sort of popular novels Rather than you know artsy party novels to get a proper English translation which then led to, led to all the, all the ring books getting translated um, to uh, dark water getting translated to you know the, the, they're still being translated now if you go on Amazon you'll see a whole bunch of Japanese horror and mystery books being um, being given a, a, an English translation and i think I think Battle royale and audition. And you know those two especially were like the vanguard of a, of, of a new acceptance of Japanese um, culture. Along, along, of course, alongside you know the, the the embracing of manga and anime. But this is this this was a sort of live action, live action love. Japanese cinema was finally getting outside of that. You know that kurosawa artsy fartsy stuff that you always accuse me of being <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was very much the case that when we looked at what was what was sort of out there you had like the sort of like samurai movies and you had kung fu movies and we had like art house sort of films and these films they sort of came across just like so much different than anything else it's like they were so, so original and aggressive um, in sort of the ideas that they were putting across and I think it was just it, it was like this shock to the system what we were actually seeing and especially when it came to Battle Royale because Battle Royale is one of those films that you have people who don't watch subtitle movies, this is a film that's never been dubbed so it's only ever had a subtitle release and I know people who are like oh I don't watch subtitle movies, I don't want to read a movie but I've seen Battle Royale and it's like this this strange acceptance that this film has that it rings with not only just fans of Asian cinema or foreign cinema but also just like, you know, average moviegoers, um, who just like, you know, action cinema. And I think it something about this film just really resonated with with audiences and it's I think as a result of that, that's what's sort of driven its sort of cult cool appeal and raising it above being just sort of like this throwaway title which i think it so could easily have been had it been in the hands of another director
1: yeah i'm going to absolutely double down on what you said there um battle royale is the only subtitled film i ever got my ex to watch yeah, um, yeah, and it, and it's not dubbed. And we spent, you know, I think we spent a New Year's Eve watching it or something like that back when, uh, back when we had sort of first child in swaddling clothes. Um, and and she enjoyed it immensely. Um, those three films, Ringo, this, and um, and audition, I take with me to friends' houses to watch together, saying, "Hey, look, I've got these really cool weird films from Japan," um, and. <laughs> and they were those three films especially were accepted by people that wouldn't normally watch a japanese film or a nation film or a or frankly a, a, a foreign film full stop um and battle royale itself is even probably even you know auditions a bit bit of a tough watch for people um Uh, Ring obviously sort of that that has entered the cultural lexicon, and but battle royale has even more so. Yeah, I mean (laughs) a battle royale is is is, although it was a phrase before, we now think of it as something where a group of people are fighting each other to uh, to whip one of the most popular computer games going at the time of writing. You know, it takes its name directly from this. Um, So it's, it's it's fascinating how in the last 20 years. This has become part of the of the of the transnational lexicon, hasn't
0: it? For regular, obviously, listeners of the Asian, of our of our show, the Asian Cinema Film Club, uh, you will know that we have already covered this film. We covered it with Emily from the Feminine Critique, and that was for our twenty fifth episode. And we thought it was a suitably big title to mark that sort of milestone episode, as we like to save our sort of the big titles for like every twenty five episodes. So our most recent one, of episode fifty, we did Seven Samurai, and while well, that episode was absolutely fantastic, it's certainly one of my favourites, and we certainly went into a lot of detail, The with Battle Royale, it's such one of those films that, on while well, you can sort of enjoy it on that sort of surface level, as just this throwaway action movie, You wait, it's just got all these other levels that are just so interesting to sort of deep dive into, and at the same time, when you only have like an hour on a podcast to sort of cram in all the details, um, there's a lot of things you're going to miss, and it was really thanks to uh mark and jay over on the deep blue sea podcast who inspired us to make this podcast as they're currently going through deep blue sea a dvd chapter at a time uh shaking things up from the other format that's out there where you watch a minute of something uh be it like the godfather or big lebowski or star wars whatever you're having to take your fancy and the podcast about that now myself i'm not a huge fan of that format but i really like the idea of looking at this film a dvd chapter at a time and uh this is what we're obviously going to be doing over the course of this series as we look over all 23 episodes of the special edition version of battle royale and we're also going to be touching on the novel as well as the manga as well because there are some noticeable differences between the three adaptations of this material Uh, so we're going to the great thing about obviously breaking it down to chapter is that we can sort of really sort of pinpoint those characters and when you look at battle royale i mean this is a cast of what 50 50 40 kids and the at the same time they all have their own sort of individual stories and that nobody's sort of like they're just be disposable sort of cannon fodder uh for the sort of more aggressive kids of the story so hopefully we'll be able to uh, sort of deep dive into some of these stories a little bit better Um, so should we uh, get into it let's do
1: let's start the only thing I'm gonna say is I've never done anything like this before in this kind of forensic detail and I do feel the more I look at things like this the more you pick at it and sometimes we'll come across I suspect (laughs) as a little bit negative because it's very easy isn't it to to concentrate on, on certain things. I just wanna sort of reiterate, I adore this film and I adore it even more now than I did twenty years ago. So if I do come across as picky and negative, it's only because of the nature of what we're trying to do.
0: Well the film first off is directed by Kinjo uh, Fukasaku, who is before Battle Royale was already a legendary director he did the Battles Were Honor and Humanity series which surprisingly took a long time to make it over here um, with a very nice box set through Arrow and is now available through Shudder as well. The series very worth checking out and the screenplay was adapted by his son Kenta and it was based on the book by uh, Kushan Takami who was also responsible for writing both the as said, the aforementioned book but also the manga as well. And surprisingly, for the same author being involved with all three projects, the material does differ between the different versions of this, and as I've said already, we will be touching on those um, straight away. But for our first chapter, which is titled The BR Act, right from the start, the film introduces and lays out the whole setting for the film. And basically, we're set in this future where... The government is attempting to control society, which has fallen into a bit of a major recession. The youth are basically out of hand, and the adults are now fearing for their safety because of this youth uprising. And to bring everything back under control, they introduce the BR Act, which every year nominates a different class to battle it out on an island in the bat- the aforementioned Battle Royale, with the last remaining student being a shining example of society of the lengths the government will go to to uphold law and order within uh, this society. But at the same time, there's much question over whether there is sort of darker means of means behind this act and there is also a number of uh, characters who are very strongly opposed to the actors we were obviously going to as we cover the film uh, but it's here that we're introduced to our hero um of sorts uh shuya nanahara who is dependent again this is where our first of our differences appear in the film he is uh, shown as Shown as being kind of a bit of a loner because of his circumstances, his father committed suicide as due to struggling to deal with the recession. His mother left both of them at a, a, a very young age, and uh, now he's basically living in a in a children's home with his uh, best friend, and basically trying to live a fairly normal life compared to everything else that's sort of going on around them. Would you say, Stuart?
1: Yeah, I um, probably just want to take a little step back. So this film, does it say actually when it's set? Um, can't remember. I think the Battle Royale it suggests is, is, is passed in the Millennium, isn't it? It's called the Millennium Act, so I'm guessing it... it, it yeah, 10, it's the term of Millennium. So just, just to put the, the, the novel and, and the film into some kind of context, what we are experiencing here so since obviously uh, since the second world war japan has had an upward trajectory economically um its standing in the world has been somewhat repaired after the uh, let's call it the the atrocities of of the second world war um and what happened in 1989 in 1997 is that that Economy all across Asia, but especially in Japan, the 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 bubble economy burst, and this was the first challenge that Asia and again particularly Japan had to had had to experience maybe in the past fifty years really. Um, so this novel, is, the novel and, and and the film are kind of touching on. A nation which is suddenly feeling broken again, um, which is seeing because of the econo- economic downturn, it's seeing maybe an uprising crime. Although, frankly, the qu- crime in in Japan compared to crime in Europe and Western world is is nothing. Um, huh. But you know, pe- people without money, so so homelessness or or children being put into children's homes. This is this is fairly alien stuff, and you, you'll see a lot of films and books of around this time touching on this, that use that financial crisis of 97 uh, through, through to the millennium. Um, It's, it's a common theme, and there's that fear in Japanese society. Japanese society is very regimented, very, um, very honor-based um they don't they don't have a lot of crime and so this this onset of poverty which leads to um criminal behavior which leads to uh youth um uh, juvenile delinquency and, and that kind of thing um all bubbles up and creates this this world and i guess the fear of of the Japanese, there's, there's sort of two fears here for Japan. One is that their, their nice and all or, nice, orderly way of life is, 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 being exploded. And, um, obviously we also have that kind of, there's a kind of millennium panic going on full stop all over the world, wasn't there? That what was going to happen when, when the year 2000 happens, the planes are going to fall out of the sky, all the computers will stop working, all that kind of stuff. So there's this, there's this general kind of panic around the world. But also, I guess Japan has this, Fear of falling back into autocracy or dictatorship, sort of the, the, that yoke of imperial control, which was, um, was upon those people up until the end of the Second World War. And we talked about it when we looked at one of the samurai films, you know, it, it, it's, um, yeah, in fact, when we talked about Seven Samurai, wasn't it? It's that there's, there's this, this fear now of the, of the totalitarian state if you like and of course in battle royale it is a totalitarian state again the film doesn't make it terribly clear other than the battle royale act um we see early on in this first chapter. Uh, is it in the first chapter? maybe it's not until the next chapter when they're on the bus actually where you know you see a bit of a paramilitary thing going on outside i think the book if i remember rightly and it's been a while since i read it probably makes a little more capital of that or oh, what is that right it sort of it sort
0: of paints paints the world a little a little more fully, I think. Yeah, I mean with the I mean with when we look at the film, um, we certainly see that we have that that wonderful introduction where you've got the survivor of the most recent game, who's so it's the little girl who's uh, seen grinning manically and you can see obviously there's the strong military presence there as the shoving like the reporters out of the way. Um, in the manga the you actually see that same sequence but it's shown when Nanahara uh, ganahara is actually a young boy he's actually upset that his uh, favorite uh, ultraman style cartoon is being interrupted because they're announcing the winner of this battle royale contest and it's he actually like remarks it's like oh my god that girl's like uh looks like an, a monster um and it's Fun when you look at these scenes that have been transferred from the manga into the film because the manga itself is very sort of oversexed. It's very grotesque, and you see like the comparisons which between the young girl you see in the film and you see her manga version, and she's just like this almost like mutated um, monster because of this ordeal that she's had to go through and survive, and it's a really interesting comparison piece, we actually put it up on our uh, Facebook group, uh, if you go on Ace the Cyber Film Club or you're looking at Instagram you can see the side, shot by shot comparison there, and it's clear as well in the manga that uh, things have been this actually been going on a while, this class uh, isn't going to be the first one into They're going into this situation um, and it's pretty much the the government has been's been been put in place at this point they're sort of driving the idea that the bR act is working, everything sort of like it's helping to keep the order even though we see just looking at um Nanahara's sort of school that things are still falling apart everything like there's a scene uh, towards the end of this chapter where the class have basically brought the board that we're taking the day off um and it has all disappeared for whatever reason.
1: But except, except, and this is where I'm going to start getting picky. Okay, um, there is the one girl who turns up. Um, I can't remember her name, but she's um, she's an important character later on, so I will I will remember her name before then. And she seems completely ignorant of what the rest of the class have decided to do. Um, and there's this real, the, the only flaw I have with this film, um, really, is that. There seems to be an inconsistent approach to what's going on. Like, I get the impression. So we we see this. We see um, we see the end of the previous year's battle royal, and some young girl has has won, and her age is indeterminate. She's cuddling a, a teddy bear or something, yes, isn't she? Yes. Is. Which which also makes me think: Is she the same age as these guys later on? I think I think she is. So these are um, well, they go ninth grade, which is sort of. 14, 15 year olds. That's right. Um, so sort of equivalent to sort of lower secondary in the UK. And I did do some looking at what that would be in America. Um, that would be sort of junior high. Um, but there does seem to be so, so, to all of her class, class B of that year and that school have decided to take it up except her and no one told her. And in the background, in the corridors there's, there's other girls going around having a fun little time It just seems to real inconsistency and then the whole TV show itself it makes part of me thinks well this this would be a big thing wouldn't it this would be this would be big news this would be possibly sort of 1984-esque opium for the masses you know let's let, let's let watch this the, you know, the people are reporting on it I'm guessing it's not. It's not Big Brother esque yet, is it? That probably predates that well. because it's not being filmed and shown on TV. Um, but at the same time, the class seem utterly ignorant of this even being a thing. <laughs> and there's this. There's this. There's this disconnect from me about the people in the film and the world that it's set in. I think I talked about this in our previous episode that that we talked about it. It just. It just really jars that that. None of the kids seem to know this is happening not not a one of them and it's not as if one of them wasn't a good girl <laughs> <laughs> one of them turned up to school and so that was that was, I've always found that kind of weird it's not it's not a deal breaker at all um, I suspect it's it's needed for the you know for the drama of the film to work but I'm trying to remember was it was it this weirdly disconnected in the novel or indeed in the manga. I always got the feeling
0: that these kids, because it's a lottery so they always feel that the odds are in their side. So they don't really they're not really paying as much of attention to it. And certainly in in the manga and the novel they do obviously make mention of this being more more televised than it is in the film version. Because in the film version we just get the indication that it's sort of like the aftermath that they report on. Um, And that what happens on the island is sort of like kept to this the secret sort of uh, military operation uh, but we do get the idea that uh, that they are sort of televising uh, sort of like highlights at least of, of these battles that are, are happening and I always as the, as you said already, said to you already the it's just the idea that you know it's this one class that's being picked I think that they feel that it's in the odds and they're so sort of wrapped up in their own various sort of schemes and, and whatnot that they don't really pay too much attention to it. Uh, until they suddenly realize oh wait a minute it's us that's going to be the the class this year so um, and then it's obviously we they, as we obviously get into them we get up to that point they've so got the sort of harsh realization to them of like the situation that is now facing them uh, but I mean with Nanahara, I mean he's he's one of the more innocent sort of characters in in this uh, especially compared to his, his friend no, uh, Nobu who we see dashing out of the uh, claf- classroom and staffing, uh, beat Takashi's uh, teacher in in the bottom, which I'm sure was his the most refreshing place. But even then, he's such a... You get the feeling that he's so, like, embittered as a teacher, the fact that, you know, being stabbed on the job is hardly anything new to him. It sort of comes past and parcel trying to be a teacher in this particular world that, you know, you're going to have to deal with the fact that you the students aren't going to turn up and they're just going to do what the hell they want, basically, so.
1: Yeah. And, 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 yeah, the the film also sort of sets its stall out quite early on, so you, you start off with, well, I'm not sure this was in the, your version of it, but there's this there's this little bit of text at the beginning which talks about, originally this film was a 15 in Japan, so <laughs> you couldn't be older than 15, to, you had to be older than 15 to watch it, so it's kind of setting the scene that the, these are 15-year-olds in this, which I think, I, I remember there was a lot of hoo-ha, um, in, in the West, in in the UK, definitely about about this film, which is probably what attracted people like you and me to it, thinking oh something controversial. <laughs> probably because I <that> was
0: <laughs> when I look at what I was viewing this this time. I mean, I said this is two thousand, so I'm really I wouldn't say that I'm sort of in my. Cinema extreme sort of kick I'm looking at the things like Greg Araki and I'm looking at John Waters and uh, things like Todd Brandon's Freaks and um, David Lynch's Razorhead just basically any sort of weirdness you can get hold of and late night TV viewings and this sort of fell into that that wheelhouse and especially because it was part of a new label being launched through uh, Tartan called the Asia Extreme label which again it just conjures up this wonderful mystique of like oh we're going to see something absolutely insane and I remember seeing that sequence at the start of uh, when his father's like hung himself, and thinking, "Wow, this is really shocking." And now looking back at it, and the things that have come afterwards, and it's like, "Oh, how naive
1: we were," <laughs> and the things we've seen yeah. since. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I remember, I remember him the, the, in in the novel, the, him finding. His father having committed suicide. There's a lot more. There's a lot more play to that rather than than a quick scene where he comes in, sees his dad with. Is it toilet paper he's got round his neck where he's written? Where well, he's go 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 go. Yeah, he's know? written his suicide <laughs> note
0: on toilet paper, but he's hung himself with an extension cord. And that's in the in the film. As in the film version, in the book, his parents have uh, reportedly died in a car crash, and. Um, right. His family don't want anything to do with him because his—they believe his parents were associated with anti-government activities. So yeah, he...
1: again, again, the novels, the novels, p- paints the world—not if not directly, but it, it paints a picture of of what's going on in the world a little better I think. Yeah.
0: Now when we look at the manga, his mother has died of an unknown illness, but it's hinted that it was AIDS, and his father was killed for his anti-government activity. So he's go again he's got that sort of shadow hanging over him and he's living out in the in the orphanage. So with the the film it's a little bit lighter on this this subtext of of his sort of back ground as such is sort of like his we get the idea that his father was sort of struggling with the recession that he couldn't make his business work and it just basically all got on top of him so he along with the fact his wife had left them he just uh, sort of uh, couldn't cope anymore and that's why he he hung himself um and it's sort of sets this mentality off of as you said he's written on the top of you know you've got to go 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 and he it's what we see uh, now how basically, basically come back to time and time again. It's sort of like his becomes almost like his mantra, this survival instinct that it that instills upon upon him amongst with like this desire to protect uh, other people that are on the island with him. So,
1: yeah, like the um, a couple of years later, I guess again something that will fall into the common vernacular is when uh, I think two thousand two in Japan, South Korea hosted the the world the football world cup or soccer world cup and uh and we got introduced to the uh the south korean uh, phrase fighting and uh, and and you use loads of films use that around that time this is fighting and then I, I i see this very much that that mantra that sort of you, you keep going boy um you, you fight to the end um mantra is is very much in and of this time in Asia yeah he's he's very much uh although he's got a really tragic backstory and in the novel i uh, correct me if I'm wrong isn't he a huge fan of Bruce Springsteen or something weird like he's that? a rocker
0: uh which is really quite a, <laughs> quite an interesting contrast because he's I think we see him like playing around with a guitar in the in the film version but he's he's like got a whole musical repertoire going on and he's um with uh, there's a scene to him like um, teasing uh, Nobu about uh, rib condoms and stuff. So he's a lot more confident in in the in the book in the manga than mm. he comes across. Because in the film, he's very sort of, shy and and retiring, which I think works better because you look at the other people around him and there's a lot more sort of big personalities so it makes more sense for him to be a more shy and retiring sort of personality to be like the caring and one who would want to protect like Noriko the uh, girl he's got this this crush on rather than just being like another brash (laughs) personality on the island because certainly when we look at this group there's there's no shortage of big personalities here.
1: Oh absolutely not and I guess the other thing is it would have been very easy to rejig the story of the film to just make him the hero and everyone else to be ancillary, which the film doesn't do. I mean, obviously we'll talk about it more, but although he is our, I guess he's our lead. He's, he's the person that we sort of follow through the majority of the film. The film does give the chance for other characters to breathe as well. And I guess, I guess a little word for, um, the guy who plays him um, Tatsuya Fujiwara um, this was I think one of his first roles um, and he's gone on to be massive <laughs> <laughs> um, his, his uh, for somebody who's only been active for 20 years um, he's in a ton of films um, from uh, things like Death Note which I think I think we saw him in Death Note, yep. didn't we? He's, he's the star of the Death Note. Um, he was in the, the the film version of Snakes and Earrings. He was in the Dreadful Insight Mill. Um, uh, he's yeah, he's and, and now he, he was in the Dreadful lots of dreadful films actually (laughs) yeah no he's 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 a very popular very very youthful looking guy i mean even now some 20 years later he looks about 20 years old um so he's 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 not he's not one of the great actors of his age but he's a really popular person i was trying to think of a of an equivalent just sort of somebody who'd 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 pop up in the um in just in, in in lots of films, with no doubt, he's in lots of sort of teen heartthrob magazines and that kind of that kind of thing. He seems he seems a nice guy.
0: <laughs> so we already got this establishment with the you mentioned already about the anti-authoritarian sort of theme that runs throughout this uh, film. And when we look at the inspiration that the uh, that, that the author um, Kushin Takami. Had uh, with this, I mean, he draws inspiration from an upbringing in 1960s Japan and um, the large groups of revolutionaries that were fighting back against police brutality, as well as the uh, idea of a totalitarian fascist government. It was heavily influenced from Stephen King's um, novel *The Long Walk*, which is um, another government uh, contest which is takes the form of a walking contest. Which I've yet, I really wish that someone would. You know get on with i wish netflix had picked that one up and uh, adapt that one because i think it'd be a really great miniseries or just a just a film version i think it's very filmable um the actual concept of uh the battle royale where well, it came from his friends who basically said that the story sounded like a reimagined pro wrestling battle royale match where Former enemies work together to defeat stronger foes. You would have former allies betray each other for their own glory. And all these sort of elements we do see within the film. You you see allies being formed at the same time, equally friends betraying each other just for their own sort of survival here. Um, Now, we mentioned already about the teacher here, played by Beat Takashi Takano, uh, imaginatively named Kitano um now for those not familiar with bit takashi takano if he is uh certainly a huge name within asian cinema so if uh, you're a fan of asian cinema there is more than a chance that you will have stumbled across him before because the man is just an absolute legend um he's been in everything from playing dirty harry style cops in violent cop he's um played the legendary blind swordsman Zakatoi He's even had his own game show which was released over okay. in the UK as Takashi's Castle. And I mean Simon, I mean it's safe to say we're both huge fans of when it comes to Beat Takashi Takano
1: I mean, yeah, it just, he's he's a, he's a multimedia, <laughs> you know, he's he's actor, singer, director. I mean, some of his his, his direction is is things like Hanabi uh, have been um well well incredibly well received yeah. um he also has made these films sort of like these weird sort of autobiographical films like Takeshi's and Glory to the Filmmaker and Achilles and the Tortoise um he's he's he doesn't care <laughs> he's um he's a larger than life character he's too too cool for school isn't he he's <laughs> um he uh, he used to have a chat show as well I think did he Um, uh, yeah and and this and this this sort of at 2000 this is his this is his um, this is the height of his fame yeah him being in this film will probably help get it it made him being in this film will help getting it a distribution around Japan around around everywhere except the USA but I imagine that's something we'll talk about in another episode (laughs) yeah yeah, he's 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 uh, he's he's sort of one of the, the modern day superstars of, of Japanese entertainment. Full stop.
0: Certainly so. Um, now, when we obviously look at uh, the character of uh, Katano, um, he's a lot more reserved in the film version. In the the manga, he's uh, more sort of very sort of um, overweight and sort of grotesque individual who takes great delight in being as psychologically torturing these kids as possible. And when we see him, obviously, through Beat Takashi's performance, he's a lot more sort of quiet and reserved, but he's coldly calculating at the same time. So it's kind of uh, shocking that we see him initially introduced to his teacher getting stabbed in the ass by Nobu. And um, he's so unfazed by it. He just walks over to the the, the sink and just starts washing it, washing his wound out uh, so when he turns up a bit later in uh, in the, in the film and takes over the class and t- turns out to be sort of the head of this the battle Royale program it's, it's kind of a kind of a shocking turn for him because you don't think that the the guy who's the uh, friendly teacher at school is also going to be the guy orchestrating your death.
1: And there's this bit, isn't there, So, so like you say, no, no, sort of slashes him. I'm going to call it the upper thigh, the buttock, maybe. Um, <laughs> and like you say, he gets he get, sort of washes himself down, and um, and and uh, the, the the voiceover just says. Another teacher left the next day, or something along <laughs> That's that. That's right, and we and we never saw him again. And yeah, I mean, never has a bigger lie been put to celluloid because we're going to see him again in about two minutes' time. But um, yeah, it's a, it's almost played like, hey, look, here's... be his beat Catano, he's turned up for two minutes in our film and now i'm thinking yeah this is like um when drew barrymore turned up in scream you know and she's only there like for the pre-credit sequence <laughs> but uh, but no he's going to be a much bigger part of the film so to round off
0: this chapter as well because we're obviously looking at the special edition of the film we also get the first of the basketball flashbacks which serve to give us our first glimpses of uh several of our of our characters who are obviously going to be very key to this film um and i mean how did you feel about this this inserted basketball sequence that shows the class in happier times as they as we are told through uh now um
1: sort of like narration so there's, there's there's two things about this so these these this sort of this this basketball game this college basketball game sort of thing isn't in the original cut is it at all I no don't it's think not at all. um so, so it feels it feels when you when when you come to this as the extended edition the first edition, it feels a little bit tacked on and just a bit huh? but it it will pay off eventually <laughs> <laughs> and it, it might be a few episodes down the line but there is a magnificent payoff for this um, because because you're right. To start off with, it, it's like, well, what's this about? You know, oh, shame and happier times. But it does give us insights into certain characters and it does give us insight to certain relationships which play out later. So I understand why, why it's there. Again, though, it does kind of undercut the message because either they all didn't go to school and they're all juvenile delinquents or they all turn up for basketball <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and so you know every every there, there is a in the next chapter the the teacher does make a comment like oh you've all managed to turn up for the school trip <laughs> but uh, but it turns out they all turned up for basketball as well and people turned up to play and get selected and the bleachers are full of of, of other classmates so in some ways it undercuts the world but it for me there will be a point where this absolutely pays off and it and it gives to one character in particular later on it 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 adds another dimension to that character at this point it's like what the hell was that <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yes, definitely so. Um what isn't most noteworthy about the scene though is we get our first glimpse of uh, Mitsuko in one of the freeze frames and she's obviously going to be a very key player in this story.
1: Yeah, I mean it's yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that 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 might have been what I was what I was hinting at, but yes. Um
0: that's the problem when, well, I mean, when you've seen this film so many times ta- as many times as you have you kind yeah. of forget that we've got to cover this a chance of time so you can't try not to get too far ahead so it's
1: it's re- it's really hard because especially especially with this, this this set of sequences because it does feel a little tacked on but I'm guessing if it was the director's cut this was the original vision and it, but therefore, it had purpose originally and was excised for matters of time. I mean, the battle royale is not the longest film we've ever seen. Even the director's cut's only just a shade over two hours, yeah. which for, for sort of a post a post millennium film feels like fairly fairly average to me. I mean, it's an exhausting two hours, mostly because you're just trying to keep up with the body count and and the like. But it, it has very few. There's the, the, very little flab in it. I think. Um and it doesn't add an awful lot to the running time, so maybe maybe the the studio just felt it it it, it interfered with that. But uh it, it will pay off. It will absolutely pay off.
0: Yeah, certainly. Um obviously if we're going to uh to draw comparisons, to the the manga again, uh, the manga during this sort of, this same sort of time sequence uh, does also start introducing several of the the other characters as well. But um, looking at, but we will obviously talk about the bit those differences uh, when we come to see these characters a bit later on the film. But certainly with the the manga it chooses to introduce a lot more the characters ahead of time. Uh, with the film uh, version, it mainly focuses its. Uh, it keeps its focus here on uh, Nanahara, Nobu, uh, Noriko. Just sort of like a small group of uh, characters and leaves the rest of the characters to sort of be introduced as they reveal their truer sides, shall we say. Uh, so we will obviously cover uh, everyone's favourites uh, as we uh, get a bit further into uh, this show. Is there anything else that you want to bring up on this first chapter?
1: the only thing which i've written in my notes and and guys i've actually written notes and i, don't, I normally play these episodes by uh, by off the cuff and by ear <laughs> <laughs> and look things up as we're chatting but i've written some notes is the um the music at the beginning as um so after i get the the talk about r15 or mine um we have the toei um the the, the 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 normal Toei logo yeah. with the crashing crashing waves but this time we have verdi's requiem D S A playing um there's a lot of classical and operatic move music in this film and it's it's a very famous piece of music um you, you people people will just know it um but but Film-wise, um, it was used in the Mad Max Fury Road trailer quite impressively. Um, our friend Mr. Tarantino used it in Django Unchained. Um, Brian Singer used a version of it in X2. Um, you'll have seen it in shows as diverse as Black Mirror and The Simpsons. Um, and I guarantee you, um, Miller, Singer, Tarantino, and and Charlie Brooker all saw that because it was used in the opening sequence of this film um and it's yeah it's 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 quite a way to start i'm not a huge fan of, of classical music and of opera um it's one of those things that a lot of asian films especially korean films do love a bit of classical music um but yeah it, it's sort of it's it's you know it's, it's it's a funeral it's a it's quite a controversial piece of music apparently looking it up by. But uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it definitely sets the scene, and I just I was I was rather struck by it, and um, which made me go on a bit of an investigation to find out what it was and where it's from and where else it's been used because it just feels awfully familiar.
0: Definitely so. A lot of the the film uses a lot of popular classics throughout the film, so there's going to be many noteworthy pieces that uh, we will highlight as they come across as they're used to punctuate the 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 announcements throughout the. For the day, it's sort of like to lighten the mood shall we say, that while they're announcing the list of the dead, they're playing different pieces of popular classical music <laughs> and this is just a fantastic opening I mean, this is how you open a film with this music, I mean, it's I watched both uh, this film and, and its sequel by Royal uh, Tomb, Rick, uh back to back and at the end of the first one I was feeling a bit tired, I was like, oh, I might go to bed and not watch the second one, and then you hear the opening, kettle drums and it's like, nope I'm right with it again it's...
1: <laughs> I just I just love though that it sort of overlays on top of the Toei um uh, icons as well. Oh yeah. You know, it, it, the, it, the film is starting now. I don't care who's bought this to you. Um <laughs> <laughs> get, get ready for a ride. And it, it you know, it's it's similar to I don't know, some of those seventies films like The Omen and stuff like that, where that kind of pseudo um the operatic Voice was used um, to to add a sense of tension and meaning to a film, which is, you know, the, the, at the end of the day, this is a silly little genre film. <laughs> but 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 by putting that particular piece of classical music up front, suddenly gets your attention and suddenly gives it sort of some weight and gravitas. I, I don't know.
0: Definitely. So it's like the film throwing down a gauntlet, as um, as mm. Tarantino highlighted with his use of Miss Olu at the start of Pulp Fiction. Um, it's just like for *Danny Gauntlet*. It's saying, you know, we're big. You were gonna grab your attention right off the bat. We're not gonna give you time to think. And certainly, this film's not about giving you time to think. It right off the the bat. I mean, we're there. We're given the opening crawl, which just highlights everything you need to know about this world, and then we're straight into the story. Other films, you if they were given the subject, we would waste like twenty minutes like establishing what's going on in this world. And this film doesn't at all. Uh, it's like um, Saku knows where the interest in the story lies and it's not going to be in establishing the world for 20 minutes It's everything you need to know can just be explained in a opening text um, mm. although for some reason I've watched the trailer that many times that in my head I had the opening as being like the computer text, it like beeps across mm-hmm. it. but in the film it's like no, we'll have the logo and it's swirling around the screen, it's like, did, it, did I watch a different version of this originally? It's like
1: well, I, yeah, there is something about that I read somewhere that the Battle Royale logo wasn't originally in the film, and it, it may have been something that's been added in later. There's just, 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 just sort of final thing on the music is, I was, I, I, I didn't recognise it, so I, do you know the app Shazam? I got, I got Shazam to sort of listen and tell me what the music was. Right. And rather than come up, and and it's pretty good, Shazam. And rather than come up and tell me it was Birdie's um, from Birdie's Requiem, it was Desiree. Yeah. Um, it came up and said Battle Royale, Requiem and Prologue. So it's, <laughs> it's so, it's so linked with this film. <laughs> it's, it's what Shazam brings back. You know, it's absolutely tied together with this film, which I'm pretty sure isn't what Verdi had, um, had thought about when he was writing a, um, a Requiem in memory of a, a poet that died a, a year before that. He wrote it, but yes, amazing, amazing sort of confluence of old and new there
0: well that was our first episode of the Battle Royale podcast we hope you've enjoyed listening and if you would like to obviously listen to any episodes in the archive make sure you check out our blog which is Asian asiancinemafilmclub.wordpress.com where you can not only find all the episodes of this podcast but our main show as well the Asian Cinema Film Club we also have on their writings including the movie vault the um, anime selection we have the mixtape we have even Stephen's Dark Sides of Asian Cinema as well you can follow us on both Facebook and Instagram as well as twitter as well which is under ac film club and we of course would love to hear your thoughts on battle royale so please do let us know at battleroyalepcast@gmail.com and if you haven't done already please do hit the like and subscribe buttons wherever you happen to be listening to us and maybe leave us a nice review or comment as it all helps raise the profile of the show but until next time Thank you for listening, and join us again for Chapter 2, On the Bus. Good night.